Good morning. Uh, my name's Catherine, and I'm one of the members here at the church. So today's Bible reading is from Acts, and it's chapter 8. I'm starting to read at verse 26, going through to verse 40. It's on page 1101 of the Bibles in the church. So Acts, 20, Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go down to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. And I'm gonna pray, and then we're gonna look at this passage together. So let's pray. Through the prophet Jeremiah, the Lord says this, let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. For what has straw to do with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces? Father, we thank you that we have the privilege this morning of having your word in front of us. Pray, Lord, that you'd please enable me to handle this passage and speak it faithfully. And pray, Lord, that today we would each of us have that experience as a congregation, but individually too, of your word being like fire in our hearts and a hammer that breaks a rock into pieces, breaking perhaps, Lord, our resistance, our natural resistance to your truth, helping us, Lord, to listen with humility and to receive what you want to say to us this morning. And we ask this in the name and for the glory of the Lord Jesus. Amen. 
In a, an interview with the Time Out magazine a number of years ago, Oscar-winning actor Leonardo DiCaprio said, I think I will always feel like an outsider. He's not alone among the rich and famous. Film director Steven Spielberg, singer Elton John, author J.K. Rowling have all said at one time or another, I think I feel like an outsider. I'm sure many of us will know what it is to feel like an outsider, perhaps in very simple ways, feeling I don't fit in, perhaps, at certain social events, or I don't understand an insider joke among friends or colleagues, or I feel excluded from a conversation on a subject about which I have no knowledge and zero interest. I've always felt like an outsider sitting among the home supporters at St. Mary's when Southampton have played Arsenal. You know I love the Saints. Of course, they really are my second team, but I desperately want to cheer when Arsenal score, and my heart sinks when they concede. One time I forgot where I was and started chanting with the Arsenal supporters, which is not a good thing to do, because the Saints fans have very kind ways of reminding you that you are an outsider in the home support. Sometimes, of course, being an outsider is much more serious and painful experience. Uh, some are made to feel like outsiders and excluded because of their social background, upbringing, education, personality, nationality, ethnicity, mental or physical disability, their appearance, marital status, or a whole host of other reasons. I was once in a church where it took me a little while to work out that actually the church was run by two very powerful families. And if you were in with those families, you were an insider. If not, you were very much on the outside. Well, for anyone who has ever felt excluded or alienated, even perhaps in a church setting, I am so very glad that you're here this morning. Because Acts chapter 8 teaches us that the God that we worship is passionately concerned for the outsider. Our God has a heart for the marginalized, the alienated, the unjustly treated, the poor, the needy, the refugee, the asylum seeker, the person who identifies as LGBTQ+. He has a heart for the divorcee, for the widow, for the unmarried, all those that others may at times reject, dismiss, or write off. Uh, we see this in, back in the very opening verse of chapter 8. If you just uh, look back with me, we didn't read this, but verse 1, on that day, that is the day a disciple called Stephen was martyred for his faith, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Now, the people of Samaria were certainly outsiders. Jewish people back then didn't even associate with them. But now these persecuted believers in Jesus are dispersed to the regions around Jerusalem, including to these outsiders in Samaria. Now, on one level, a great persecution breaking out doesn't sound like great news. But actually, this is all part of God's wonderful plan to ensure that the good news of Jesus reaches out beyond the insiders of that day, that is, Jewish believers in Jerusalem, to outsiders. In fact, this is partly how the uh, promise of Jesus to his disciples right back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is going to be fulfilled. You will receive power, says Jesus, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's a great reminder to us, isn't it, that God will use all possible means, and indeed all impossible means, to achieve his great plans and purposes for the nations. Uh, we sing a song sometimes, don't we, that uh, has this line, even what the enemy means for evil, 
You turn it for our good. Well, here is an example of God turning what the enemy means for evil, the persecution of God's people, turning it not so much for our good as believers, but for the good of the outsider. Because these scattered disciples become God's instrument to share the good news of Jesus with those outside God's family. And what we're going to learn as we look together at this account of Philip and the Ethiopian, verses 26 to 40, is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, transforms outsiders into insiders. And so if you know this morning that you're an outsider to the Christian faith, you know you're not yet a believer, you're a little bit confused about what's really happening this morning, let me say you are so, so welcome. And please listen in because you can learn this morning how to become an insider. And if you know that you're already an insider, please listen in because we can learn about God's heart for outsiders and our responsibility to explain the good news of Jesus to them. Three key things that I want to draw from this passage. First, verses 26 to 31. Without Jesus, everyone is an outsider. Without Jesus, everyone is an outsider. Uh, this Ethiopian unit we, we read about certainly knows what it is to be an outsider, to be excluded. True, we're told, uh, verse 27, he's an important official in charge of the treasury of the queen of the Ethiopians, so uh, uh, what we might call a chancellor or a finance minister. And you might think that perhaps with a job like that, he'd be very much an insider. But you see, he's also a foreigner. He's not from around these parts. As the NIV footnote explains, he's from the southern Nile region. And if he's a literal eunuch, that is without fully functioning male anatomy, if I can uh, put it uh, delicately with younger people in this, this service this morning, well, he's excluded by the law of God from entering the temple in Jerusalem, which is where he's traveling home from. Indeed, God's law puts it somewhat less delicately than I just did. Deuteronomy 23 verse 1 says, No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. So he's an outsider because he's not local. He's an outsider because he's a eunuch, unable to enter God's presence in the temple. But he's also an outsider, you notice, as regards understanding the Bible. Uh, yes, true, verse 28, he keeps a copy of the book of Isaiah the prophet in the glove compartment of his chariot, but he doesn't quite get what it means. We can assume he's a reasonably intelligent man, certainly good with numbers, but when Philip runs up to his chariot and, and asks if he understands the passage that he's reading, he says, well, how can I, unless someone explains it to me? Now, some of us may be thinking, well, I find it quite difficult to relate to this man, and it's true that the impression we get from Luke is of quite a unique and unusual character. And yet there is something that each of us, by nature, share in common with this Ethiopian eunuch. Because without Jesus, every single one of us, whether you're here, whether you're engaging online, is an outsider as far as God is concerned. Remember, this man is a foreigner. Those of us who are not of Jewish descent, that's the vast majority of us, well, we're also foreigners to God's promises. Listen to how the Apostle Paul puts it to Gentile believers in Ephesus, referring to their spiritual status before they trusted in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now, there's a lot of theology packed into that one verse, and time is limited. So let me put it like this in summary form. Here is the natural state of every human being 
without Jesus. Five spiritual realities. We are separate, excluded, foreigners, without hope, without God. Prefer it in a word? Outsiders. All of us. The man is also a eunuch, therefore excluded from God's presence in the temple because of his physical imperfection. And you and I are excluded from God's intimate presence due to our moral imperfection. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, asked the psalmist. Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false. Put it another way, if you have always done thought, said, imagined, 100% pure thoughts and things 100% of the time, if you have never ever in your whole life made something or someone more important to you than God, if you've never told a single lie in your life, not even what we might call a white lie, those little lies, if that's you this morning, you're fine because you're not excluded from God's presence. And uh, let me just say, by the way, thank you so much for coming down from heaven to be with us this morning. Uh, we really appreciate your presence. Please do come and talk to me afterwards because you must be an angel, and I would love to. Uh, I've got loads of questions I'd like to ask. Uh, I am using irony at this point, please, for those of you who are not. Uh, uh, English is not your first language. There is no one righteous in God's eyes, not even one. This Ethiopian official is also unable to understand the Scriptures unless someone explains them to him. And guess what? Without the Holy Spirit working in our minds and our hearts, no one here can understand God's word, let alone preach it. At least not in a life-giving, transforming kind of way. No, God's truths can only be spiritually discerned by God's Spirit. By nature then, every one of us without exception is an outsider. Most of us are foreigners to God's promises. We're all excluded from the immediate presence of God because of our moral imperfection and all unable to understand his revealed truth in the Bible unless the Holy Spirit gives us insight. Which all sounds pretty hopeless, but actually, no, there is great hope because secondly, verses 32 to 35, Jesus became an outsider in our place. Jesus became an outsider in our place. Uh, the passage the Ethiopian official is reading in his chariot is from the book of Isaiah the prophet in the Old Testament, written several hundred years earlier. And through his prophet, God predicts and points forward to a time when he will send his Messiah, that word means deliverer or rescuer, into the world to deal with this massive problem that we have of being alienated from God and excluded from his presence. Uh, he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53. And if it's not a passage you're familiar with, I encourage you, look it up later today. Because it is the most detailed description in the Old Testament of the suffering that Jesus will go on to experience hundreds of years later on the cross. The cross is God's means of meeting the human need for forgiveness of sins while at the same time satisfying the divine demand for justice to be done. And look with me at what Isaiah says of this rescuer who will come. It's surprising because notice he doesn't come in great power with all guns blazing, as the saying goes. No, verse 32, it's very odd because he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. 
doesn't sound very much like a rescuer, does it? Like a deliverer. In another part of the Bible, Jesus is described as being with God in the beginning from all eternity. Jesus, the Son of God, enjoys perfect, uninterrupted fellowship with God his Father in heaven. He experiences fully and joyfully the presence of God from which you and I, by nature, are excluded. Jesus is the most intimate insider imaginable. But because God the Father is such a generous and loving God who is rich in mercy, in his good pleasure he sends his son, Jesus, into the world to deal with our alienation and our separation from him. Jesus, the divine insider, comes into the world in human form, fully human, and yet in a mysterious way that we can't fully understand, also fully God, the God-man, like us in his humanity, except that he keeps God's law perfectly, 100% of the time. He can stand in the holy place. He does have that pure heart and those clean hands. And so with that in mind, it's shocking, really, that we're told he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, was deprived of justice, his life taken from the earth. Why would the God whose ways are perfectly just allow his fully obedient and law-abiding son to be deprived of justice, indeed to be brutally crucified like a common criminal? Well, earlier in the very passage the Ethiopian official was reading, Isaiah explains... This is Isaiah 53, verse 5, which is not quoted in our passage. says this, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Those of you who like the technical, theological terms, this is what we call substitutionary atonement. In simpler terms, it means Jesus died for us, for you, for me. But not simply on my behalf, rather he died in my place. The punishment that I deserve laid on him as my substitute so that I can be reconciled with a holy God. Imagine you're on trial for some terrible crime. Imagine you live in a country where, or even in this country in early days, where there is actually a, a death penalty. The trial comes to an end. The jury leave to deliberate. And when they finally get back into the court, the clerk court turns to the, the foreman or the forewoman and says, um, have you reached a verdict upon which you're all agreed? We have, is the reply. How do you find the defendant? Guilty or not guilty? Dramatic pause, hushed silence, guilty. Stand up, says the judge. You fear the worst. And your worst fear is realized because he sentences you to death. But then in a dramatic moment, the judge steps down from the bench and he walks into the dock and he says to you, you are free to go. I will take the punishment that you deserve. And he then turns to the prison guards and he says, send me down. And off he goes to face execution in your place. Unlikely story, isn't it? Probably won't be turned into a Hollywood blockbuster anytime soon. Be shown at a cinema near you or to be streamed on Netflix. But that is, in effect, how outsiders like you and me 
become insiders in God's family. Jesus, appointed judge of all the nations by God the Father, willingly steps down from his place of glory in heaven and walks into the dock of divine justice. And he pays the death penalty, not just for one person, but for the world that God so loves. God sends Jesus into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Well, Philip clearly gets the significance of Isaiah chapter 53, and he knows what a great passage it is to preach Christ from. So when the eunuch asked him to explain whether the prophet is talking about himself or someone else, Philip, verse 35, began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Which ought to come as a real challenge to all those of us this morning who know that we are insiders. Back in verse 29, we we read that the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And did you notice his response in the reading? Verse 30, Philip ran up to the chariot. No hesitation, he ran. I wonder, do you ever feel prompted like that by the Holy Spirit? To go to a particular place or to approach a certain person, maybe even a stranger. You may not hear an audible voice, but somehow the Spirit seems to lead you unexpectedly to someone in whose heart He has been at work, softening, preparing the way, making them ready to hear and respond to the good news about Jesus. I wonder, are we ready and willing to show that same urgency of Philip? To run towards those situations rather than away from them. To be eager to tell our unsafe family and friends and neighbors and colleagues the good news about Jesus. I'll confess that I have had plenty of times in my life when I have done a Jonah and run the other way, and I'm sure many of you have too. I'm comfortable with public preaching, but I am not a natural personal evangelist. I'm simply not. I do want to be available, though, to speak to whoever the Spirit might send me, even if it is in fear and trembling, which often is for me one-to-one. I wonder if we could perhaps pray this coming week that God might put it into the hearts of unbelievers around us to start reading the Bible or to bring about into their lives circumstances which might cause them to think about God and maybe turn to his word in search of the meaning of life. After coming to faith in my 20s, I remember hearing from a number of Christians saying that they had prayed for me during my rebellious teenage years. And straight away I thought, I just thought of several occasions when I'd been particularly desperate and low in my room at home as a kid, and I just turned to my bedside table and would pull out of the drawer a little Gideon's Bible that had been given to me at school, and I would start to read it. And I was so, so far away from God, and looking back on that now, I am so convinced that only happened because believers, insiders, were praying for me as an outsider. Well, how about praying that people would see the reality of Jesus in the way that I live and would maybe ask a reason for the hope that I have? Be prepared, though, if you do that, that God will answer those kind of prayers. He delights to answer those kinds of prayers. And yes, you might worry about stumbling over your words, being unsure of what to say. You might wonder how you deal with a tricky question. But remember, the Holy Spirit is given to us, gives power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, says, Jesus, you'll have power. You can ask the Holy Spirit at that moment in the silence, help me, give me power 
And you know, he has that wonderful way of giving us exactly the right words that we need at exactly the right time. Even if they may come out from our mouth in kind of stumbling, hesitant ways. Don't be worried about the weakness of your explanation because the power is in the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Without Jesus, everyone is an outsider. But Jesus became an outsider in our place, which means finally and briefly, verses 36 to 40, anyone who trusts Jesus becomes an insider. Uh, we know the Ethiopian eunuch trusts Jesus after he hears the good news about him because of what happens next in the account. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And Philip answers, well, look, you've only just come to faith, plus you're a eunuch, so I have questions about your gender identity, and you'll definitely need to sign up for our 26-week baptismal course. Is that what happens? This is not a trick question. The answer is no. Verse 38, and he gave orders to stop the chariot. Now that's the Ethiopian official giving the orders. He isn't even waiting for Philip's answer. He is determined to be baptized right now. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. Now don't mistake my humor there for saying that there isn't some wisdom. Of course there is some wisdom today in taking people through a simple course before we offer baptism, especially as today most people don't come from a background like this eunuch of worship and reading the Bible. But I do think we need to ensure that we don't put unreasonable obstacles in the way of people being baptized. Because ultimately it is only the Lord who knows those who are his and what is in a person's heart. So if someone has heard the good news of Jesus, explained to them, if they appear to profess genuine faith, then I think we really need a good reason not to baptize and if you're an insider this morning maybe one of the youngsters who is here and you wish you really weren't you wish you were in your youth group as usual I wonder though if there are a number of different ages you've believed the good news of Jesus you've professed faith in him and you're seeking to follow him you are but you haven't yet been baptized may I ask you a personal question this morning on behalf of your saviour and lord what is standing in the way of you being baptized. One of the things I find fascinating about this account is that we know very little about what happens to the Ethiopian eunuch after his baptism. Except for that little phrase you notice at the end of verse 39, telling us that he went on his way rejoicing. But apart from that, we know nothing. There's no Ethiopian eunuch season two. So no mention of anything changing in terms of his lifestyle. We're not told about any specific acts of repentance at this stage. There's no indication of physical healing as regards his male anatomy. As far as we know, he's still a eunuch. But internally, he has been transformed from an outsider to an insider. Formerly a foreigner, but now a member of God's multinational and multicultural family. Formerly excluded from God's holy presence in the temple because of his physical imperfection, now accepted in Christ, exactly as he is, and able to boldly approach God's throne of grace with confidence, to receive mercy and find grace in his time of need. Formerly not understanding God's word in the Old Testament, but now grasping that it all points to Jesus and believing the good news about him. But externally, the only thing that marks him out initially is joy. He went on his way rejoicing. Reminds me of a a woman in the very first church that I led in East London. She came from a very strict Roman Catholic background. 
uh, where she believed that God was just this harsh judge in heaven who was just looking for a way to punish her every time she put a foot wrong. When she grasped the good news about Jesus, when she put her trust in him, the change in her was almost instantaneous, visibly instantaneous, because what, what had been this sort of twisted face full of guilt and condemnation of shame suddenly was full of joy. She got it. She got that she was free and forgiven and accepted in Christ. With some sanctified imagination, we can perhaps imagine the, the, the Ethiopian chauffeur, um, his, his, his um, chauffeur just recognizing the joy, his close protection officers seeing the joy in his face, his civil service colleagues back in the southern Nile region, they would have seen the joy, his boss as well, presumably, the queen of the Ethiopians. And you know, true gospel joy is infectious. It is such a powerful witness to the good news about Jesus, especially to those around us, many of whom are living in misery, isolation, shame, condemnation, hopelessness. And so please, God, those of us who are insiders, may we overflow this week with joy by the power of the Holy Spirit so that people will see Jesus in us. I'll pray that for you this week. Please pray that for me. And let me say finally, if you feel like an outsider this morning, excluded, alienated, marginalized, looked down upon, rejected, despised, harshly treated, can I say, my dear friend, Jesus gets it. He has been there. Indeed, Jesus has been to a far darker place and suffered far greater injustice than any one of us can even imagine. But he suffered for you and for me in our place. And the good news about him is still today the means by which you can become a joyful insider in God's family. The gospel is still today the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Everyone. Anyone who believes. No exceptions. No exclusions. No exemptions. So let this be our motto at Above Bar Church. In Christ, no outsiders. May it be so.